All right. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, my name is Chris Creech, and we have a couple other people with us here today that'll introduce themselves in just a minute. But uh, we are talking on this conversations about our core beliefs. We are talking today uh, and next week about salvation and kind of what that means for a person. Uh, what does it mean to be saved? What is salvation? What is not salvation? And all the things like that. And some of your questions as well. If you want to submit them, we might be able to answer those in future weeks as well. All right, I'm going to turn it over to uh, Jeff, and he will take it from here. All right, we do have a, a special guest with us. This is Dr. Jeffrey Bingham. He is from Southwestern Seminary uh, down in Texas. And um, uh, so before we dive into the subject of salvation, the doctrine of salvation, so um, Dr. Bingham, what, uh, what do you do at Southwestern? What's your role there? So I'm the Dean of the School of Theology and a Professor of Theology. I teach um, our uh, core uh, introductory systematic theology courses and uh, some of our doctoral uh, courses with an emphasis in the doctoral seminars on uh, the history of theology, particularly uh, early Christianity, the second century and forward. You know, one of my uh, favorite classes, I went to Midwestern here in uh, Missouri, but one of my favorite classes was the uh, church history uh, yeah. classes. I had, uh, it was required that I had two with the degree I got, but uh, uh, it was uh, very fascinating. Oh, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. We offer those uh, here at Southwestern as well. I taught uh, church history at uh, uh, at Dallas Seminary for about uh, 16 uh, years. So it's one of my favorite disciplines as well. Well, yesterday um, I had uh, a lady in her church. She reached out to me and about a week or so ago, she gave me this little booklet printed back in 1969. And she wanted to ask my opinion about it. Was it accurate, safe to read or whatever? And I looked through it and all it was, was a, it's called the Trail of Blood. It's a little tiny booklet. And uh, by Cecil somebody, and uh, but anyway, he um, but it was about the history of the of Baptist. That's what it was about, and um, uh, and so uh, and I'll just read through it from a perspective of somebody who wrote back in 1969 about what they knew at the time. You know, it was interesting to see all that stuff and how they how they view things. And uh, yeah. but I, after I went through it, I told her I said, yeah, it, it's it's pretty accurate. I mean, you know. And uh, it's brief, but, you know, you can, it's not going to mess you have to read it, you know, but she, she, uh, she was thankful for it. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to be talking about the doctrine of salvation, and we have asked Dr. Bingham to join us to kind of, oh, answer some questions for us. And some of the questions we're actually asking him are some of the questions that we have picked up um, over the last few years, just having conversations with folks at our church and in our community, and we think it'll be helpful. And so uh, the first question uh, right out the gate is we're just going to go broad and big. So Dr. Bingham, just kind of walk us through answering the question, what is salvation? What do we, what do we mean or what does the Bible mean by salvation, getting saved, and ever how you want to address that? Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks uh, for uh, letting me join you and uh, for this opportunity to speak uh, about uh, these important uh, doctrinal issues. Salvation is a very broad concept in the Bible, encompassing 
themes that we see in the Old Testament as well as throughout the New. Uh, there are several words or uh, several, uh, uh, several terms that are associated with the term salvation. Uh, remember that Jesus, uh, the name Jesus, uh, is, uh, is a name that makes reference to the identity of Mary's son uh, as uh, the Savior. And so he is uh, Yeshua, the Savior, who has come to save us from our sins. And so the very name of Jesus emphasizes the great theme of salvation, uh, the anticipation of Jesus in the Old Testament, and then uh, the actuality of the ministry of Jesus recorded for us in the New. And uh, we find uh, in the Old Testament uh, that salvation encompasses everything from uh, the deliverance of Israel from uh, her enemies, uh, the uh, rescue of God's people from their trials and tribulations, uh, to the uh, idea of uh, an eternal uh, blessing uh, in, uh, in the ends of time, as well as the idea of a, uh, a relationship with God, uh, which, uh, which persists in this life. Those same themes are carried through into the New Testament. And so we find that the doctrine of salvation is broken down into several sub-themes. Uh, justification is a biblical term that applies to the doctrine of salvation. And justification is the biblical idea. We see this developed in Romans chapter 4, for instance. Justification is the idea that God is declaring us who were sinners and who are sinners. He is declaring us to be righteous, not with our own righteousness, but with the righteousness of Christ. And so salvation begins with the notion of being justified. God declares us righteous. But salvation also involves other terms, particularly in the New Testament. Terminology like redemption. Redemption is a subcategory of the larger theme, salvation. And to be redeemed means to be bought back. In particular, in the work of Jesus Christ, we are bought back from our sin. Uh, we are bought back from our fallen uh, and, uh, and brokenness. Uh, our, uh, our, our, our sad situation because of our sin, God purchases us back from that sad situation. Salvation also includes the, uh, the concept of reconciliation, uh, so that salvation involves being reconciled to the Father. We see this, for instance, in Romans chapter 5, that we are reconciled to the Father. Reconciliation involves a healing of a broken relationship. It involves turning a former enemy into a friend. It involves God, who was judging us for our sin, 
before we were reconciled, now welcoming us as a father uh, who welcomes us into his present and with whom our relationship has now been healed. Salvation also includes the grand biblical concept of sanctification, this moment-by-moment, day-by-day, year-by-year process where the Lord, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, is transforming us out of our sinful nature, out of our fallenness, uh, out of our unrighteousness, uh, by the mercy and by the day-to-day work of the Holy Spirit into people who are day-by-day, year-by-year, acting and conducting themselves in righteous and holy manner of life, as the Spirit transforms them from inside out. And salvation also includes the grand final concept of glorification, this hope and expectation that we all have and that the Bible promises us that one day we will all be raised from the dead, glorified in uh, uh, from, our immor- from our mortality to immortality, corruptibility to incorruptibility, as we are raised bodily from the grave, glorified, and uh, in that state uh, we will enjoy uh, being in the presence of uh, the Son, the Father, and the Spirit uh, forever and ever. The main blessings of salvation begin with uh, the, the basic two blessings. Both of them, for instance, are spoken about in the first chapter of Ephesians. To be saved means, first of all, to be forgiven of your sins, and second of all, to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit and sealed by the Holy Spirit for all the ministries which the Spirit conducts within us. The ministry of being reconciled to the Father, the ministry of being bought back from our sad uh, and, uh, uh, and disappointing relationship with Satan and our disobedience and our fallenness uh, to uh, the Spirit's day-by-day work of sanctifying us, and ultimately uh, the Spirit's uh, ministry of whereby at the command of Jesus uh, we are raised bodily from uh, the dead. And uh, so the concept salvation is an extremely broad concept Uh, which includes all of those wonderful, wonderful blessings, beginning with forgiveness of sins, beginning with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and then ultimately glorification for eternity uh, when we are raised from the dead at the uh, return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's a very broad uh, sweep of... uh, of the degree to which salvation uh, is treated throughout the Bible. So, uh, I mean, yeah, it it is huge. (laughs) Um, You know, and 
I have a terrible tendency, not a terrible tendency. I just have a tendency to, when I, when I get into theology, um, I have a hard time talking about the big picture, the forest, because I like to talk about the little trees one at a time, you know, and um, it's hard for me to even go through a book in the Bible. You know what I'm saying? Because I like to just take forever. I was on laughing because there was a sermon series in James recently that took him two and a half years, I two think. Two and a half years, yes. In James. James. We're, talking, we're talking five so. chapters. It's a simple, I mean, it's a, I don't want to say a simple book, but it's an easy book to preach through and teach through. But, uh, but man, we just split that thing up, man. Anyway, so anyway, uh, when I, so when I'm hearing this big concept, um, with all the things like, you know, justification, reconciliation, sanctification, you know, uh, glorification. So, um, when I first started, when I got saved, and for me personally, when I got saved it, it, in the early days, all it, salvation, the only thing it meant to me was I had my fire insurance, okay? I'm on my way to heaven. And uh, now I was trying to follow Jesus, but man, I, there was still a lot of grave clothes wrapped around me. You know, I was alive, but still smelled a lot like I was dead, you know? And then Jesus, that sanctification thing, you know, began to happen and growing in my life. And little by little by little, the grave clothes began to fall off. So, um, and somewhere along the way, uh, I picked up this, um, I can't remember who I heard it from first, but it's the, the, the three tenses of salvation, past, present, future. You know, I was, I mean, you know, I, I was saved, I am being saved, you know, and I will be saved. Could you sort of address that concept for us a little bit? Yes. So some of the terms, uh, some of the broad scope that I just covered a moment ago actually complements the, uh, the formula that you've just given us. The uh, was saved and being saved will be saved. The, uh, the blessings of uh, the forgiveness of sins and uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the two first and primary blessings of salvation, uh, go with uh, the part that I have been saved. So at some moment in the past, uh, one who formerly did not believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ the Son of God, whose death was, uh, was a full atonement for her sins and uh, whose uh, blood uh, cleansed her from her sins and uh, by whose sacrifice and resurrection uh, she could receive by believing in that full satisfactory payment, both forgiveness of sins and the indwelling of the Spirit. At that moment that she believed, uh, in Jesus of Nazareth uh, as the Christ, the Son of God. At that moment, she was saved. She received forgiveness, and she receives the Holy Spirit. And so that is a truism uh, that now exists in her past from the instant she believed. But uh, from the instant that she believes, the Spirit begins a dynamic merciful ministry in her life. 
uh, he begins to, uh, to produce the work of sanctification, where she, uh, uh, where she experiences uh, the, uh, the Spirit uh, uh, washing her inwardly, uh, transforming her inwardly, transforming her motives, transforming her thoughts, uh, transforming her actions, so that what she produces in action now comes from a transformed interior. And this ministry of sanctification goes on for the rest of her earthly life. Sometimes it happens in, uh, uh, in, uh, uh, in, in a very quick way. She'll experience uh, magnificent uh, changes in uh, thought, magnificent changes in uh, motivation, uh, magnificent changes in actions. Sometimes it goes agonizingly slow, and uh, she will struggle with things that another brother or sister are not struggling with, who, who, who experience a, uh, a sanctification that uh, for them is immediate in some areas. But that's what we mean. This ministry of sanctification is the process of being saved. So that at the moment we believe, we receive the Holy Spirit. At the moment we believe, we receive forgiveness of sins. At the moment we received, as Romans 4 teaches us, we were declared righteous with the righteousness of Christ. But sanctification is the ministry of the Spirit, whereby he begins to form righteousness within us, our heart, our souls, our spirit, our changed from being associated with the wretched Adam to now uh, imitating more and more in its nature, the blessed Christ. And then, of course, we will be saved. There is a final and consummative sense to salvation, and that takes place, thanks be to God, at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes in the clouds uh, in his glory, and he resurrects us from the grave. He, uh, uh, he turns uh, our bodies of shame and our bodies uh, which were mortally buried and our, our bodies which were corruptible and which decayed. He raises them from the dead and, and gives to them immortality, gives to them glory, uh, gives to them incorruptibility. And at that moment, sanctification is complete, glorification is complete, and uh, we will be with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in unbroken union uh, and blessing uh, for uh, forevermore. So yes, salvation has a past to it. Salvation has a present to it. And salvation has a future for each individual and indeed for the entire community of the International uh, Universal uh, True Church. You know, um, one of the, I mean, it was like an aha moment for me years ago when I realized that the scope and the width and the depth of salvation, you know, for me, because, you know, again, like I said earlier, 
I mean, when I got saved, it was all about, you know, I'm on my way to heaven when I die. Kind of a, and it was a very narrow view, even though it's a great view, it's still a very narrow view. And, um, but when I realized that in some ways, you know, I was saved from the penalty of sin, I am being saved from the practice of sin, not perfection, but just from practice of sin. And then someday I'll be very, you know, I'll be saved from the very presence of sin. And, um, that, uh, that made some verses in the Bible go from this to this, you know, when it was talking about salvation and what Jesus had done, because up to a certain point in my life, it was just all about, you know, save means, okay, I'm not going to go to hell. Now that's, I mean, I'm not trying to make light of that because that's, that's pretty important about not going to hell and going to heaven. But, uh, uh, that's a good thing. Uh, okay. So uh, how much time we got, Chris? Uh, about. 10 minutes left on this, on this first one right here. Okay. Um, so let's go ahead and jump into, uh, okay. Some, um, contamination of salvation, uh, in people's thinking. And one of the ones that we run into quite often is, um, especially folks who haven't been raised in church or they've been raised in something else that taught, um, something a little different about salvation. And that is, we run into the people who say, okay, I, I need to get saved, I want to get saved, but uh, they believe that salvation is faith in Christ, and I need to be baptized. And so they combine those two together. Um, would you address that issue where, what's, what's how does a person really get saved, and what does it not require, or what does it require? If that makes any sense. Yeah. Well, again, if, if I could begin uh, my answer by uh, taking us back to Romans chapter 4, which is the chapter where Paul has to deal with a similar question. Uh, it's not baptism, which is the issue in Romans 4, but he's having to deal with some hangovers that the Jews who are associating themselves with Christ, are struggling with. The Jews, like many people today, uh, back in Paul's time, wanted to add something to faith, um, based upon the practice of circumcision. And so what uh, the Jews that Paul was having to deal with wanted to do was to emphasize that yes, a person had to believe that Jesus of Nazareth was uh, the one whose death was completely atoning for my sins and whose resurrection could resurrect me. Uh, but to that, uh, they wanted to add the practice of circumcision, which had been a part of the religious culture of the Jews and association of those who were going to be true followers of God uh, throughout the history of uh, the Jewish nation since the days of Abraham. What Paul emphasizes in Romans 4 is that, uh, well, that's utter nonsense, because circumcision was never, was never a basis for salvation. Uh, and uh, Abraham's own experience proves this because he is justified, Paul says, 
He is declared righteous in Genesis chapter 15, purely on the basis of his faith, before circumcision was ever introduced to him. And so Paul's emphasis in Romans 4 is that no religious practice, no matter how deeply rooted in a religious culture uh, it might be, no matter how holy, no matter how uh, pious it may appear, no religious practice is uh, to be added to the purity, the simplicity, the exclusiveness, uh, the isolation of faith. And so in Romans 4, Paul is very clear. It is on the basis of faith and faith alone in Jesus that we are justified. And, uh, and so we apply that teaching to any religious practice, whether it be baptism, uh, because the Lord institutes baptism just as he instituted circumcision. But he doesn't institute baptism uh, to unbelievers. He institutes baptism, we learn in Matthew 28, 19, to disciples, those who, uh, are, uh, uh, who have come to faith and who are beginning their journey of discipleship. And so it doesn't matter whether it's circumcision, doesn't matter whether it's baptism, doesn't matter whether it's Bible reading, whether it's prayer, whether it's going to church, uh, it doesn't matter what holy practice a person may come up with or what holy practice may be a part of his or her culture, doesn't matter. Uh, Paul has, uh, uh, has defeated any notion. Abraham has defeated any notion, both in the Old and in the New Testament, that it doesn't matter what. Uh, that uh, that religious thing is nothing uh, justifies except faith and faith alone. So, all right. So where does? I mean, obviously, you know, for us, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're reading the Bible, we study the Bible, and that is so clear to us. I mean, we we just see it easily and clearly in the Bible what the Bible teaches. Where does this? faith in Christ plus come from um, for folks who you know live here in the United States yeah so l let me answer that on a couple of uh, a couple of bases the first basis is a problem with the brokenness of humanity the gospel is not natural. It is not part of our world. It is not a reasonable, logical thing. And the gospel doesn't fit in to the way in which our world, which is terribly broken and shattered and corrupt, works day by day. I love the way that Martin Luther talked about justification. He talked about justification as an alien thing. It was, it was out of this world. Uh, it, it, it was not from within our world. It, it was from Pluto or from Saturn or Mars or someplace. It was alien 
uh, because it came from God. Uh, it, uh, the righteousness that justified us came from God. It did not come from within us or from within anything in our world. Human beings are so broken, so shattered, so perverse and twisted in their association with their fallenness and with uh, granddaddy Adam, that uh, part of their brokenness is uh, to insist that they are capable of making a contribution. And so part of our sinfulness is our inability to receive grace from God alone. The, the best definition of grace I know is one that Augustine provides, not so much in these words, but in, in his writings as a theme. Grace is God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And in order to be saved, one of the first admissions a person has to make is that they are unable to contribute anything and Jesus of Nazareth has contributed it all. And so the first problem, uh, and the first way to answer your, your question is to say that human beings always want to contribute something. They think that highly of themselves. The, the, the second problem sometimes arises from the way in which people read some biblical texts. In the early church, particularly in the book of Acts, there are situations in which faith and baptism appear to happen uh, together. Uh, a person is, is being baptized at the moment they believe. And so, and, and this is something that continues through the early church into uh, the second century and following, that, that uh, that baptism was, uh, the waters of baptism were not an uncommon place in which a person proclaimed their public faith. And so sometimes, uh, because of the close association in the book of Acts to a person believing and a person being baptized, uh, and even in the practices of some church, where faith proclamation is associated with the waters of baptism. This sometimes can deeply confuse people to the point that they begin to associate both faith and baptism as necessary when this isn't the case at all. Uh, it's just that in the early church, uh, in the book of Acts, for instance, we see that people who believed were baptized very quickly, uh, sometimes on the day of Pentecost in very close association. But uh, none of that does away with the, uh, uh, with the ultimate necessity, uh, the alone necessity of faith itself. What it does do is to emphasize that those who believe uh, ought to follow their belief uh, in their first step of discipleship with baptism. But then yeah. I would say that I'm, I'm a Baptist. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, well, I do appreciate uh, you answer, spending some time with us today. And um, we're going to continue this conversation uh, for the next podcast as well. Uh, Chris, is there anything else that um, we need to say before we wrap it up? Well, it's funny because, you know, I always type up these questions thinking from the, the point of view of a listener and I'll type them up and ask them to Jeff. And I, I wish you could have seen my screen because while you were talking, I'm typing all these questions and go, oh, he answered that. Oh, he answered. And so <laughs> yeah. I'm left with almost nothing over here. But um, <laughs> I feel like we're doing this for, for our church and the people listening, but I feel like we need to write a check to Southwest Baptist to, you know, just make sure that... <laughs> that, that we're paying for the class, but, um, <laughs> incredible, incredible insights into a lot of that. And, uh, yeah, like Jeff said, we're really appreciative to have you here and, um, we will, we will pick up on some of this stuff next time. If there are questions that, you know, if you're listening and you heard, um, type them in, send them to us and we will, we'll do our best to answer those online as we, as we go or give you a shout and answer those as well. All right, so we will see you guys next week. All right. Good to be with you. Thanks.